So I entitled this talk, This Do in Remembrance of Me. You know, we are people that are just prone to forget, and we've had proof of that this very morning. Warren couldn't remember what I had texted him just a few minutes ago, and I couldn't remember where my part came in the order of the service without asking Dennis. So we just forget stuff, and it seems like um, the more we want to remember those things, the more we, we tend to forget Speaking about this to a uh, friend of mine that called about some seed this past week, and, and he told me I need this, this, and this. And it was three bags, and I said, you know, Daryl, I'm just going to write that down. I'm going to forget it. And I said, I don't know why it is. I just I forget stuff. And he goes, well, your, your mind's cluttered with other stuff. And I said, yeah, that's probably right. That's, that's what it is. So, it's you know, we have, we have other things in our mind, and we get older, and, and all these things kind of, um, kind of culminate to, um, to make us forgetful people. You know, as I've reflected on that, forgetfulness is somewhat of a bittersweet. Um, sometimes we're glad we can forget things. Um, we're, we're just happy, you know, bad experience, and we're, we're, we're glad to get some time between that experience and today just because we, we want to forget it. And then there's times when things happen and you're like, I wish I could just remember that moment, you know, forever. I, I wish I could, maybe even at times we wish we could relive that. And I think that's somewhat what Peter what was going on in Peter's mind on the Mount of Transfiguration, he had this wonderful experience and he said, well, let's build three tabernacles here. You know, I think he was so enthralled with what was happening that he just didn't want to forget it. So we have things that um, we want to forget, other things we wish we could remember forever. And sometimes to aid in memory, um, we as people, as societies, um, so on, we have these things we call memorials. And um, really, when you think about it, that's what we're doing here this morning. This is a memorial service, really. Um, society has their memorials, and um, we as Christians hold this today as our memorial. I uh, just kind of thinking about things that we as society wish to remember Sometimes we want to remember things that, because we don't ever want those things to happen again. Uh, one of the things that I thought of is um, something like the, the Holocaust. Um, you know, that generation, um, that was just engraven on their minds, in, in their memory, this, this horrible thing that had happened to the Jews during the 40s. And uh, there are different... Um, Memorials and so on, where the, the, the very words we will never forget is engraved, because it, it's something that people are bound and determined that they will not forget. And there's other things as well. Um, we have, uh, our country has something called Memorial Day to honor the fallen soldiers of the country and so on. And, uh, we also have things like personal memorials, um, that are, are just, something we observe personally, something like our, our uh, wedding anniversaries and so on, other important personal events. As I reflected on it, I was, I was, um, it was interesting as I thought about the different things that God set up uh, to be memorials to us. And I'll just, I'll just name you a few. Um, the first memorial I could think of was uh, the rainbow. But that, that truly is a memorial. And, and I'll, I'll bet 90% of us well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe we do better than that. But, you know, I, I'm guilty sometimes of looking at a rainbow, and I don't think about the promise behind that rainbow. I just enjoy the rainbow. 
but it really is there because God said, I'm going to set that bow in the sky. When you look at it, you just remember that never again will I destroy the world with a flood. The Passover, again, it was called a memorial. Um, God said in Exodus 12, he said, you are to remember the night that you were brought out of Egypt. You're supposed to do this every year, so remember that. Um, same way with the Feast of Booths. Um, in, in Leviticus 23, it says, This shall be a statue to you forever, so that the children of Israel will remember that I brought them out of the land of Egypt. The, uh, if you remember the, uh, the pile of stones that was uh, dug out of the, out of the uh, Jordan River on the way across Jordan, when the Jordan stopped and the people came over, they were instructed to uh, every elder of the tribes there were supposed to pick up one stone and make a heap on the other side. And again, that was called a memorial. And um, again, it was something visible for these people to remember what God did for them. Interestingly enough, the Sabbath was also a memorial. And that memorial was, again, to remember that the Lord God brought you out of Egypt. Um, you're supposed to stop one day a week and think about that. In Esther 9, we have the Feast of Purim, and that was an annual feast that would, that came to be during that time to remember the deliverance of Jews during Esther's, Esther's time there. And we could go on. There's, there's others. I thought of the, of the woman that anointed Jesus' feet, much to the disgust and dismay of the visitors that day. And Jesus said, you know what? This will be a memorial. Wherever the gospel is preached, people are going to remember this woman. And today we still talk about her. And I find that interesting. You know, I thought about this and I thought, well, you know, what, what makes something worthy of a memorial? And I guess I concluded that generally when the original event in some way is extremely noteworthy or the outcome of some accomplishment of a person is so um, amazing, I guess, that it shapes a significant chunk of history. It seems like that's when memorials um, are worthy of being uh, observed or erected or something like that. You think about how many times, how many memorials I talked about here that the in the Old Testament had to do with coming out of the land of Egypt, the Passover, the Sabbath, um, the, the pile of stones, um, the feast of booths, all of them specifically say, I want you to do this so you remember exactly what you were delivered from. I believe that people of the generation of the event that is being remembered will always have a more vivid memory and appreciation of the event than ensuing generations. Um, these important events really run a great risk of being forgotten or the importance of them being forgotten. Um, let's go back to the Holocaust. I just read a, a statistic recently that 22% of millennials, if you ask them, what was the Holocaust? They couldn't even tell you. Could not even tell you what it was. That's kind of a shame. But, it, you know, when you think of it, it was no different for the people of Israel. You know, in the Bible, if you look in, in, is it Judges 1, I think? It says, after Joshua and the elders of his generation died, the people immediately started worshiping idols and, and doing thus and thus. Why was that? Had the pile of stones disappeared? 
Uh, had they quit keeping the Sabbath? Uh, have the Feast of Booze? I mean, why was that? Obviously, the memorials were not doing their job anymore, and the people had forgotten God. Just three observations on that. I believe that things that we don't personally witness or experience just cannot have the same effect on us than if I would have personally witnessed or experienced the thing. I, the way I understand it, in the early church, communion was celebrated much, much more than we celebrate it. Right, wrong, or otherwise, I wonder if the reason that wasn't the case is because those disciples, those people that were there and witnessed that very event, I cannot imagine the the um, the memory that stood that stuck with them throughout their lives, and perhaps that behooved them to commemorate it oftener than than we do. I don't know. As I mentioned before, time and the ensuing events that come with time tend to lessen our memories or the significance of any event, and that's why memorials are important. It it, it brings us back and makes us conscious conscious of the event and makes us deliberately stop and think and reflect on the person or the event. And I'm also convinced that there is no event in the entire history of mankind that is more worthy of a memorial than this one that we are celebrating here this morning. I have no doubt that the drama of that event probably affected that generation um, to a degree that we don't understand. I'm sure that's the case. But there is no event that has altered the trajectory of the human race more than the event of Jesus' suffering, his death, and his resurrection. The trajectory of the entire world hinged on that event. And today, every time we write the date, we give testimony to that event. So, when Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me, what did he specifically want people to remember? He doesn't really say. He just says, I want you to celebrate this, and here's how I want you to do it. And I want you to do it to remember me. I find it somewhat interesting. Um, occasionally, someone will be asked, well, what do you want to be remembered by? What, how would you like people to remember you? And generally, you know, we'll have some answer. You know, we want to re- be remembered as this nice person, this whatever, generous, loving, whatever, all the, the kind qualities that we wish to be remembered by. But the fact of the matter is, unless we are those people, I don't care how you wish to be remembered, whatever you were will, will be how you are remembered, okay? When, and so, Let's just say that as long as there's life and we are a belligerent and, and not a nice person to be around, we can change that and we can perhaps change our memory. Jesus, when he said, this do in remembrance of me, he knew that he could say that to his disciples and to us today, and he knew there was not one thing in his life that was regretful or that he wished people would not remember about him. And as I contemplated that, I'm like, you know, I can't cover everything we should remember about Jesus in this in these few minutes because there's way too many. But I picked out three for us to think about this morning: things that we should remember about Jesus as we suffer, as we as we celebrate this event. The first thing I'm going to suggest that we should remember is his sacrifice, the sacrifice that Jesus made for the human race. 
who really did not deserve the sacrifice at all. Let me read you a few verses. In Romans 5, 6, it says this, For when we were yet without strength, in due time, at, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth, or God exhibited his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter 3. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Think about, think about those few verses that I read. In Romans, Paul says, you know, it would be extremely noteworthy if, if you had a friend and your friend was in trouble and you, and you had, it was a good friend. He was a good man. And you really wish to, uh, to be nice to your friend and your friend was going to be put to death for something. And you would go and you would say, you know, I will, I am willing to die in my friend's place. That would make headlines. That's a big deal. That takes quite a person to do that. But he said, take that one step or maybe even five steps further. He said, in this event, you didn't deserve it. You weren't even his friend. And Jesus died for you. What kind of love is that? Peter says it was the just for the unjust. And it was because God wanted. He wanted to put on exhibition his love for us. Paul tells the Ephesian church, he says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and has raised us up and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And John, in 1 John 3, I think he sums it up very well. He goes, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. As we remember this love of Jesus and his sacrifice, what should that do for us? Well, again, First John, here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And then John says, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. You know, Jesus was able to look at his enemies and as they were reviling him and spitting on him and jamming crowns of thorns on his head and mocking him and scourging him, and he was able to say, Father, forgive these people. Jesus was able to do that. And yet, too many times, I am too thin-skinned that when someone says something, I bristle, or I feel offended, or I feel justified to hold somebody at arm's length and ostracize them just a little bit because they deserve it. They do. You know, when I do that, I am not remembering Jesus. I am not celebrating this event in remembrance of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 11 here, this, this particular passage that we read just a few verses out of, I read that several times over. Often whenever we, we look at verses uh, 29 there, uh, 28, 29, talks about examining ourselves so that we don't eat or drink unworthily. And, and we interpret that as, you know, let's make sure our lives are free from sin and, and we're, we're walking uprightly and with the Lord, and that's, that's appropriate. But when you read those verses in the context, what the context is actually speaking to us about is loving our brother, 
It's speaking about when you when you come together at the communion table, tarry on each other. Be nice to each other. If you don't, you're not worthy. That, that's, a, that's really the, the context of that. So this morning, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember my unbelievable love and my sacrifice. And be propelled to help everybody, no matter how unworthy we feel that person is of our love and sacrifice. Jesus once said, greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Number two, let us remember the suffering of Jesus and how he endured it with grace and with dignity. Many times Jesus told his disciples that he was, he was going to have to suffer. And I'm going to read one of these, um, one of these events in Luke 9. Jesus said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, Jesus just said he must suffer many things. And we read through the uh, the accounts of his suffering. And I dare say there's few of us truly grasp the extent of that suffering. I just don't think I do anyway. God bless you if you do, but I just believe a reading of those happenings do not do justice to the suffering. I think we would be shocked beyond words to have physically witnessed the suffering that Christ endured. There's a very thought-provoking verse, Hebrews 2.10. It says, because it became God, it says, for it became him, it's referring to God. It became God, for whom all are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. Now here's the punchline. To make the captain of our salvation, who is Jesus Christ, perfect through sufferings. So Jesus wasn't perfect before he suffered? In Matthew 10, it says, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above the Lord. Look, if Jesus had to go through suffering to be made perfect, do we have any reason to think that we should not have to face suffering so that we somehow we can somehow attain perfection without that? Again, in the book of Romans... Paul says, if we're children, then we're heirs. We are heirs of God, and we are joint heirs with Christ. And we like to stop there. We like to say, that's a great concept. We are heirs and joint heirs. And we fail to finish the verse. If so be we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Peter, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad with exceeding joy. Second Corinthians, And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall also be your consolation. Is there a theme beginning to develop here for you? To the extent that we are willing to suffer for Christ because of his suffering for us, that will be to the extent that we receive grace, consolation, and exceeding joy 
and be glorified with him. All these wonderful things that seem so, um, that we, so desirable, really. Um, there's a stipulation. Suffering always precedes it. Well, you know, I reflected on my life and I said, uh, have I suffered? Have I really suffered? And honestly, I've had some, I've had a few miles of rough road in my life. Um, but I'm almost hesitant to say that I have suffered. I guess I would be hesitant to say that. And I look at, at uh, you know, Jesus and his suffering. And I read at times the martyr's mirror or, or even other current events of Christians that are suffering, tremendous suffering for Jesus. And I say, could I do that? Could I really do that? Well, I think... The verse I read here in 2 Corinthians really is the key. As we are partakers of the suffering, whatever that suffering is, whatever the extent of that suffering is, to the, de- to the degree that we partake of that, that will be the degree of the consolation. So in other words, as the suffering ramps up, the consolation comes right alongside of it. And we are able to endure that suffering just like Jesus did. At my aunt's funeral here a few weeks ago, uh, my uncle came to me, and I, I was talking to him, and he was the one that lost his wife, and and uh, you know, I just I said, you know, I you know gave him my condolences, and we chatted there a little bit, and he said, he said, you know, he said, I just said I have no idea what you're going through. I I, I I'm not going to even I'm not even pretend that I do because I don't, but I do. You know, you have my prayers and my support, whatever. And he goes, you know what? He said. Um, he said, you would not believe the peace I feel. He said, I, I, I don't even know why. He said, I, I he said, it's unbelievable. I wouldn't have thought I could have done this either. And as I reflected on that, I thought, you know, I do know why. To the degree that he was suffering, God was giving him consolation. And I believe the prayers of the saints and things like that entered in. And so that, that just was an encouragement to me. That, um, you know, as we are enduring hardness as good soldiers... No matter what the extent of our suffering, we will have the consolation to go with it. So what should be some lessons for us? Well, let's not be surprised if we go through some suffering. That's kind of part of life and kind of really a part of the Christian life. Well, I don't know that we should seek it. I know for sure we shouldn't chafe at it. I think we should carefully analyze the alternatives to suffering. David, uh, he felt like he was suffering one day, and he said, I looked around at the wicked people, and I felt like, you know what? Why has it got to be me? Why am I suffering? But he said, then I went into the house of the Lord, and I remembered their end. And that made all the difference. He was ready to suffer. Moses had this choice he had to make one day. He had it good in Egypt, and he had a choice. And the Bible says he chose rather to suffer with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for just a season. Just a season. Hebrews 10 has, I think, some verses we should pay attention to. And you can turn to that if you want. Hebrews 10, verses 32 to 34. I think this really, really applies to us today. Hebrews 10, 32 reads like this. But call to remembrance the former days. Now, isn't that interesting? We're, we're here, our, our theme this, this morning is this do in remembrance of me. 
And Paul, or well, I, I shouldn't say Paul, the Hebrew writer here, whoever he may be, said, call to remembrance the former days. Jog your memory. It's time to remember here again. In which after you were illuminated. In other words, he said, remember before you were illuminated and then what it was like after you were illuminated. <clears throat> and, and I'll just put a comment there. We truly cannot meet suffering with the composure of Christ until we have the illumination of Christ. Okay, I really believe that. He says, so after you were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Okay, and here's how they endured this great fight of afflictions. He said there was two parts to it. Partly while you were made a gazing stock by both reproaches and afflictions. So that was the one part. He said apparently these people had endured some sort of of um, afflictions and sufferings of some sort. And he said the other part, and partly whilst you became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have a heaven in heaven a better and enduring substance. So perhaps we're not made the gazing stocks and, and, and enduring the reproaches of these people that, uh, that the Hebrew writer was addressing. But certainly, certainly, we can become companions of those that are so used. And I truly believe that as we keep ourselves aware and engaged of the suffering of people around us, whether that's in our own congregation, whether that's our neighbor, or whether that's that person that we really don't have a name or face for in North Korea that is suffering today for the name of Jesus. If I can somehow identify with that and say, that could just as well be me, that's going to do something for us. We will become a companion of those people who are suffering. He goes on in Hebrews 13, he says, Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them that suffer adversity as being also in the body. Today, as we remember the extreme suffering of Christ, can we be inspired to suffer our light affliction patiently? I hope we can be. Number three, the last thing I want us to remember today. Let's remember the service of Jesus. Jesus was a man that willingly served, and he finished strong. He just did. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 22, he had these few words to say to them. He said, I am among you as he that serveth. That's how you know me. You know me as a servant. You don't know me as a Lord. You know me as a servant. As I reflected on Jesus' ministry, I was impressed that that's pretty much what we know Jesus. That's, that's how we know him. When was he ever served? Can you think of any time he was served? Well, you might say, well, you know, the time that, um, you know, that the, the lady anointed his feet. And that's the memorial, by the way. Um, you know, it might have been a few times here and there, you know, that he was served. But what we know about Jesus is service, okay? We know about his miracles. We know how he, he stayed up into the wee hours of the morning talking to his father. We, we know about the hard things. We know about his sufferings. We know about his service. I think John was, um, the, his disciple was, was impressed with Jesus' service. I'm going to read to you a few verses that the Gospel of John has that none of the other Gospels necessarily um, record. 
At the uh, woman at the well there, whenever the uh, disciples came back with that food and they wanted to give Jesus food, he said, no, I said, I'm not hungry, I don't need food. And they were talking about among themselves, and they said, did somebody else bring this guy food? Like, where did he get his food? And Jesus knew what they were saying, and he said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He said, i got a job to do, I'm doing it, and I'm going to finish it. In John 5, when the Jews were wanting proof of who Jesus was, and they often wanted that, Jesus pointed to two things. He said, you had John the Baptist. He said, you should have paid a bit more attention to what John was saying, by the way. But he said, I have one even more greater witness. And this was the witness that he, that he pointed to. He said, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, that work I do. That bears witness of me that I am who I say I am. Jesus' service was actually a witness that he was the Son of God. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus said this, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou hast given me to do. And on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. This man was known for serving, and he was known to finish his work. And he did that in a relatively short time of three years. Is our work ever finished? I, I don't know if it is or not. But it certainly is my desire that when I get to at the end of my life, that I don't look back and say, you know what, I could have done better. I could have. I, I, could, have, I could have given it more. That certainly would be a regretful thing to have to, uh, to have to reflect on. One thing I know, quitters are never looked up to in admir- admiration. Have you ever known anybody that was given a task, a noble task, or even maybe somewhat of an ignoble task, and he quit halfway through? And, he, and there's a memorial someday to the, somewhere to this guy? Indeed not. Jesus talks about that one time. He said, you know, what guy, if he's going to build a tower, doesn't sit down first and count his pesos to see if he has enough to build the tower? And the express reason he doesn't build the tower if he comes up with less than he needs is because he doesn't want people walking past and saying, that guy was a fool. I, I have that very thing up there where I live, uh, two miles north of me and about a mile east of me. There's a house that a man began to build. And he got to a point, and he quit. This is about 15, 20 years ago. He quit. That place is the most decrepit, despicable thing to look at you ever did see. He has an old Winnebago camper sitting in the front yard. The the place has fallen to pieces. There's saplings growing around the the buildings, the, the house there. And it is a testament to what happens when you just flat quit. You're just, you're just done. It is, it, it, it's an eyesore in the community. I say it's equally an eyesore when people start out and they're going to serve and they quit. Is there a memorial to Demas anywhere that you know of? What's Demas known for? There is maybe a memorial. He's known as a quitter. That's what he's known, of, known for. Jesus said, as you remember me, remember my service. I believe he was thinking that. Can we be challenged by his example? Again, Paul to the church at Rome. I love this verse. He goes, To them who by patient continuance in well-doing 
Seek for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life. You get that? You get the connection? The patient continuance and well-doing will reward us with honor, immortality, glory, and eternal life. The book of Revelation several times talks about people that loved not their lives to the death. And they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. To the church at Sardis, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. Friends, in the kingdom of God, there are no bystanders. If you're not in service for the Lord this morning, you're not properly observing communion. You know, it's not the work's always easy, that's for sure. Many times it's difficult. And there is temptations at times just to stop. But there is never a good reason to quit. You know, as we, as we contemplate what we stand to lose in the next life, it pales in comparison to what we stand to gain in the next as well. You know, Jesus one time said, you know, the person that leaves houses, lands, father, mother, and he has this whole list of things, and he says he will gain manifold things in this life and in the next life eternal, eternal life. Galatians 6, 9, let us not be weary and well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Will you and I be able to say that someday as Paul did? I have finished the work that I was given to do. I hope we can do that. So today as we partake here of these emblems, let's remember to be inspired by Jesus Example of sacrifice, his example of suffering, and his example of service. May God bless you.